0: Hey there, Yag here. Before we jump into the show today, I have some exciting news to share. As of this month, we are officially part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. This means we are now part of the leading B2B podcast network designed to help professionals like you get inspired, learn, and grow. The ABM Conversations Podcast is now alongside other great podcasts like My First Million with Sam Parr and Shanpuri, The Salesman with Will Barron, and I Digress with Troy Sandridge. Check out all these shows and more at hubspot.com slash podcast network. And now to the show.
1: Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and And everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world.
0: Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of the ABM Conversations podcast. And this is me, your host, Yag. In today's episode, we are going to define, rant about, debate and discuss how to get one person better every week at social selling and sales enablement. If you're discussing social selling and sales enablement, you better bring on someone who lives and breathes it, right? So you probably guessed it. Today we have with us Steve Watt, the marketing director at Seismic, the global leader in sales enablement. Steve is also among those who acknowledge that inbound marketing has peaked, outbound is getting noisier than ever, and if you want to win, you need to build authentic personal connections. And if you're like me, you're nodding in agreement. Steve was an early employee at LinkedIn and has been a social selling and digital engagement practitioner, writer, podcaster, and educator for more than a decade. He has spoken at dozens of conferences and universities. His guidance in the field has been published by AMA, Dimension Report, LinkedIn Solutions, and a lot more. With that, Steve, welcome to the show. I'm super happy to have you here.
1: Thank you, Yog. I am really looking forward to this. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation you and I had a few weeks ago that was not recorded. And I'm really happy that you invited me to do this with you. So thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely excited about this. Let's get started. You know, social selling over time has been getting a bad rap, especially because of the pit slapping that happens a lot on LinkedIn. And uh, based on some of the interactions that I've had with people, some of them tend to think that social selling is very exclusive to ABM. So I think that's a great place to start. What, according to you, is social selling and how does it connect to ABM?
1: Yeah, that's a great topic. We, we can go in a lot of ways there. Let me start with the first thing you said, though. You said social selling sometimes get a bit of a bad name because of pitch slapping. And I completely yeah. agree. I, I think that what passes as social selling in a lot of organizations is not, in my opinion, social selling at all. It's social harassment, right? <laughs> it's it's saying, look, hey, look, all, all the people you want to reach are on LinkedIn, go look them up and, and, and then hunt them, hunt them, send them connection requests and pitches and try to get them on a, you know, a call next Tuesday. And it's just like, this relentless hunting mindset. And nobody wants that. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, I can't wait to sign on to LinkedIn so I can get hunted by a <laughs> bunch of salespeople. I mean, it's 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 crazy. And, and I mean, I probably get eight or 10 of those a day. I can't even imagine how bad it is. If you're, say, a VP in a large global organization, you're probably getting dozens of those a day and you are, you're done with that, right? You are, you are ignoring your connection requests. You're ignoring your LinkedIn inbox. You're actively blocking these people. And I mean, this is not doing anybody any good. So this this hunting mindset of social selling, I think, is is really damaging. It's it's damaging to the, the people in the companies doing it, but it's also damaging to the entire social ecosystem. Uh, there is a much better way. And yes, we can connect it to ABM. We can connect it to challenger selling. We can connect it to uh, conventional outbound and conventional inbound and lots of other things. But at the heart of it, it all comes down to just being far more buyer centric and customer centric and not being so selfish. And, and that really, and we can spend as much time as you want unpacking that. I got a lot of opinions about that. Uh, but like to me, that's, that's what the heart of it is. If, if you approach social selling, if you think social selling means aggressively hunting people, uh, it's not going to be successful. But if you re, frame that in your own mind, and in in the mind of of others in your organization as a buyer centric value delivery, uh, instead of a hunting exercise, it can be tremendously successful.
0: Yeah, absolutely can't agree more. And, uh, you know, two words that I get often tired of uh, hearing in the marketing fraternity, one is value, and the second is ICP. It's, it's like Nirvana, you know, everybody talks about it, but no one really knows what value means or how to get there. And the worst of all is when I look at the posts of, say, folks that are getting these top voices uh, on LinkedIn, for instance, it's cat pictures, math problems, and videos from World Economic Forum. And I'm like, what is this? And then there you are, you talk about authentic social. So let's let's unpack that, you know, what is authentic social? And the big question is, how do you tie it to brand advocacy?
1: Right. So, yeah, it's funny you you took issue with the word value. I just said value. Um, so <laughs> let me let me defend value because I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. It's 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 easy to say, hard to do. Uh, let me defend value, or at least define it in the way I mean it. I mean starting from the mindset of understanding why your buyers are on LinkedIn in the first place and then delivering something to them that is both interesting and helpful to them. And that to me is value. So why is anyone on LinkedIn? I said, nobody's on LinkedIn to be hunted. They're also not on LinkedIn to be advertised at, right? And and these are the two motions that most organizations do on LinkedIn. Their salespeople hunt, and their marketing people or their marketing channels just, just like, uh, advertise at people. And, and then even if they do activate a bunch of their people through employee advocacy or whatever they call it, brand ambassadorship in, de- in different firms, it's still an advertising function, right? It's still me, 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 us, us, us. We won an award. We're a best place to work. We're hiring. Our CEO was in the news. We're so amazing. Yeah. And nobody, nobody's on LinkedIn saying I can't wait to be hunted and nobody's on LinkedIn saying I can't wait to read a bunch of advertising. So you wonder why you don't get anywhere. So to deliver value, to be buyer centric, yeah. as, as you asked, starts with understanding why are they there? Why is anybody there? Well, I, I propose that people are on LinkedIn for two reasons. One, they want to learn. And two, they want to advance their own interests. So how can you Freely and regularly share content that is interesting to people, can help them learn something, and can help them succeed, help them thrive as individuals in their own career and as companies. And if you gate everything and everything is about an ask, if everything is about, like, hey, let's jump on a call, well, you're not giving freely. You're not being buyer centric. You're trying to take. Um, So I say, Give freely, give often, give openly and honestly, share perspectives and learnings and insights and data, share it and, and let that bring the right people towards you. And that to me is value. That to me is buyer centricity. And that is far more effective than hunting and far more effective than old school advertising.
0: Right, right. And where does the authentic part come in? The reason I ask this is because, you know, there is too much of content there on LinkedIn, but there is very few that is really useful to people.
1: Yeah. So where does, I think that's, that's kind of two questions in one, Yeah, How do you be more authentic and how do you be more valuable? Right. And and they kind of go together, but, but not until, I mean, how do you be more authentic? Well, first of all, just don't always be talking about yourself. Don't just always be advertising. (laughs) Right. You know, if, if all you're doing is try to pull people into your webinar or, or get people to apply for your jobs, well, you're, you're kind of, you know, it's not very authentic. You, you're just kind of like a, an extension of your corporate advertising yeah. voice at this point. Authentic people have opinions and and perspectives and they have interests outside of work and they they don't have it all figured out they're still learning and they're open and honest about that and and authentic people celebrate others they don't just make it about themselves they take the time to engage with others and really join in conversations that are not about themselves so there's lots of things you can be do to be much more authentic you can write Posts and, and make comments in the same way you speak, you know, not sound like this was written by committee, not sound like this was written by a copywriter in the marketing team or at the marketing agency, you know, write like a, a human being, write like you speak. So, I mean, there's lots of things that go into authenticity. Some of it is the mindset you approach it with, and some of it is the actual things that you do and how you do them. And then, how do you be valuable? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of garbage content on LinkedIn. And I think most of us just scroll right on by, but there's also some (laughs) great content on LinkedIn. I mean, like I I can sincerely say I'm a better marketer, a better seller, a better leader and, and lots of other things too, because of things I've learned on LinkedIn and, and, you know, posts that I've read videos, I've watched conversations that I've been active in back and forth in the comments I've learned so much and I always recommend to people wherever they're at in their career. If you're not on LinkedIn to learn, you're, you're missing something. You're missing something pretty important.
0: Right, right. And I love the part that you said, uh, you know, it's not like uh, written by a committee, because one of the persons that I spoke to, uh, you know, a couple of months back, the reason they gave me that the reason they don't post often on LinkedIn is because everything needs to go through their legal team's approval for anything to be posted. I'm like, no, 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 that's not how it works.
1: Wow. yeah, what 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 year is this? <laughs> no, I mean now, in fairness, in in financial services, a, a regulated industry, yeah, there are legitimate regulations and legitimate restrictions and concerns there. So I have a lot of empathy for firms in uh, financial services. Uh, there are definitely tools, in, including seismic's own live social tool and others that can help with that. Um, it is tough in regulated industries, right. but if you're hearing that from other industries that are not government regulated in that regard, then that's a really old school mindset. Isn't <laughs> it? And like, you know, I mean, of course you don't want your, there's always risk, right? Yeah. There's, you know, there's, you know, you don't want your people being idiots and saying hurtful things and doing things that damage the company's reputation and everything. But I don't think the way you, you manage for that is by telling them either to not Ever speak up or to have to have everything cleared by legal like wow that is incredibly restrictive (laughs) and and your people are going to be left you are going to as a firm you're going to be left behind because your competitors are probably approaching that in a much more modern way and they're probably training their people to be smart and responsible and then empowering them and enabling them to go out there and Build relationships and build trust and, and spark business building conversations. You can't do any of that if if you're trying to run every every post and every comment through a legal team.
0: Right, absolutely. And if you look at it broadly, you know, all of us here are either selling or doing sales support in one way or the other. And we have companies like, say, Drift and Refined Labs, whose team produces and shares amazing content across formats. And uh, that, you know, creates amazing brand advocacy as well. But then there's the other side of the spectrum where it's really tough to get everyone across the board excited about creating content on social media. If you push at best, you know, like you said, it uh, it is either about hiring or winning an award. So as a director of marketing, how do you get everyone to jump on board? I mean, at the outset, everyone knows the benefit, but it's not a priority for all of them
1: absolutely uh, my approach to this just like lots of other things is is mindsets first then skill sets and and then tool sets you got to start with the why you got to start with the mindset i always start this process in any organization whether it's my own organization and i and i do work with the seismic sales team on this very actively and others within seismic uh, but I also work with a lot of our customer firms on this also and i Always start with the mindsets of getting people into a more buyer-centric mindset about LinkedIn, as as we discussed at the outset here, uh, getting them into thinking about why people are there, what they want to see, what they don't want to see, and really thinking about how to build trust and build relationships and build engagement over time and 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 get out of the the very short term transactional mindsets that a lot of people approach social with a lot of people and a lot of companies get on social. And it's like, okay, so we're going to pitch some stuff and we're going to do some things. And I want to see leads tomorrow. And I want to see opportunities next week. And I want to see revenue next month. And if we don't have that, then we failed. So forget about it and let's go do something else instead. And they quit before they ever accomplish anything. And so for me, you start with mindsets. It's, it's It's about all of that. And it's about how to really build this flywheel of trust and and recognition in the market and relationships and conversations over time. That's the first thing. Second thing I, I focus on is skill sets. So once we're in the right mindset, how do we actually Engage well with people like link. Think about LinkedIn etiquette, you know, when to connect, when not to connect, um, when and how to comment on other people's posts, uh, when and how to uh, respond to comments on your posts, what kind of posts you should share, how how to leverage corporate content versus third party content versus your own Authored content, um, how to think about your content mix across uh, different types of content, and and how much personal content should you bring in there? Some people don't want to be personal at all on on LinkedIn. Others arguably go too far that way. So there's so <laughs> much. So you got you got a mindset piece. Then you've got a whole skill set, you know, strategy and, and activation piece, and and then the third piece. Once you kind of solve for that, or at least address that is what tools can help you do these things. Uh, so I'm not I'm not going to turn this into a, a, an ad for Seismic Live Social, but I mean that's exactly what that helps with curating that right. third party content for each of your people, so they've got something ready to share that that's 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 relevant and quality and and interesting and and, and different from what their peers are sharing. Because if everybody's sharing sure. the same thing, it's it's the furthest thing from automatic. And of course, there's other tools that can help with that as well, in in greater or lesser extents, but but frankly, none of those tools are going to solve your problems in and of themselves, including our own, uh, unless you you are really addressing the mindsets and the skill sets uh, as well. Uh, when you do all three and you do them well, you can absolutely transform the trajectory of your organization because you now have the opportunity to activate hundreds of your people, thousands of your people, depending on the size of your organization, uh, to become highly engaged and and highly publicly buyer centric and if you're doing that really well and your competitors aren't you've got a tremendous opportunity in front of you
0: right so when it comes to say uh, you know mindsets and skill sets for example uh, the way you said I think it's relatively easier to train marketers and salespeople to uh, get into this quickly. But when it comes to people who are in tech, you know, who are not used to uh, being in the communication side of things, it is very, very difficult to get them to even, you know, start conversing. At best, you get a couple of likes from your teammates. But uh, and then, you know, uh, in a couple of weeks, people lose interest and they say, you know, I spend better off uh, time on developing my product and getting things across on my sprint.
1: Yeah, very true, and and you, you're never going to get everybody I- involved, and I, I think you have to accept that and know right. know that going in, you're never going and and you know I always say you know it's got to be all carrot, no stick, right? Like it's got to be about educating and inspiring and enticing people, and not trying to force them. You can't you can't right. like, and I've seen it. I've seen it where companies try to make a, a mandate that you know you have to do this, and you you have and and the reality is. Not everyone wants to, yeah. uh, particularly technical staff, as you said. Yeah. Uh, many times they have no interest in this, yeah. and if you try to force them, that, that's like that's very destructive to your company culture right. and your your people's morale. You if you force them hard enough, you're going to lose some people, and that would be a ridiculously counterproductive <laughs> thing to do. Right. So, right. never ever go in with the mindset that you know, everybody needs to do this and it's going to be some sort of checkbox thing where I want X number of posts and this is exactly what I want you to do and everything because that that, that is the furthest thing from empowerment and enablement, right? This needs to be about empowerment and enablement. So I always look at it as uh, the more people we can get involved in this, the better. But I would rather have one third Of the employees in a company doing it enthusiastically and with real authentic passion because they see the value for their own career and they collectively, they see how they're raising the the profile of their firm and they're, they're, they're helping their firm grow. And if one third of the people do it really well and really authentically, that's way better than trying to force everybody to go through the motions.
0: Absolutely. You want to build a voice, not a pod. So, yeah. Right. So, extending our um, conversation on social setting to sales enablement as a whole, you know, it's all about setting the right expectations, as you said. So, let's define this. What should be the purpose of social content? Is it sales enablement? Is it going to be showing presence? Or is it at all possible to kind of take an OKR approach and say, hey, here's the objective. These are the three things that we want to hit as key result areas. Well, I think
1: that social, employee-centric, like employee social, buyer-centric, customer-centric social done well actually supports a very wide range of OKRs or, or business outcomes, however you want to look at it. Right. And so it, it needn't be this or that. It, it really can be a, a bit of a mixed scorecard. I mean, there, there's clearly a payoff for sales, right? There's no question that if you can activate and empower, enable a whole lot of your people to share really quality content and, and quality perspectives and to stand above the crowd, you are shaping the market in advance of your salespeople, in advance of your demand gen people, you are defining the problem, you are defining how to think about a solution, you're putting your firm into the consideration set every time, right? right. I mean, when you think about most missed opportunities for a sales organization are not because they were in the sale and they lost to a competitor. It's because they weren't even in the sale in the first place, right? They just weren't on the radar. They, they didn't, have, you know, to use a, the baseball analogy, they didn't even get up to bat, right? right? So first and foremost, if you can shape that market and get yourself into the consideration set every time, your win rate is going to go way up. Your, your, your revenue is going to go way up. So that's happening. Uh, plus you're building trust and momentum throughout the entire sales cycle, especially if it's a large, complex enterprise sale that involves a lot of time and a lot of different stakeholders. And your people are doing a fantastic job on social, it's so much easier to bring those other stakeholders into the conversation and maintain deal momentum right to the finish line. So lots and lots going on for sales. And I mean we could we could talk the entire podcast just about the sales outcomes. But but let's let's shift to marketing, right? If you've got a lot of your people doing a great job on social, well that's that's boosting a lot of marketing. outcomes as well you're going to get more consumption of your content because you've got more people not just blasting your content but mixing it in together with a whole lot of other valuable content such that that it's drawing more people into your content and the right people as well you're going to get more direct traffic to your website because people will be like i hear this name i know these guys these guys are out there they're good i want to learn more now they're hitting your website you're going to have more high intent conversions you're going to have more people who are pre-educated and pre-inspired by all this social activity so when they do hit your site they're more likely to hit that talk to sales button or that request demo button or whatever your conversion mechanism is so you should get more traffic you should get higher quality traffic and you should get higher intent traffic and more content consumption so marketing's happy too right but it doesn't stop with sales and marketing i mean to think about it from the perspective of talent acquisition i mean it's not so many companies out there they're just missing the mark in my opinion there's sharing job postings like we're hiring that's that's the post that's it we're hiring well who cares? You know the only people who care are people who are actively looking for a job right now. And that's a small portion of everyone. Instead, if you've got a firm that is shaping the market and standing head and shoulders above everybody else and it's just so obvious that you are driving forward and you've got, you know, really smart, passionate, uh, empowered people in that organization. Now other people want to start to work like other people who are already happily employed elsewhere. Now they want in on this. Everyone wants to be on a winning team. Everyone wants to be in in a great company. And so now you've got you've got far better inbound talent opportunities where people, like I had just yesterday, I had a really very successful high performing sales professional that I know from the past reach out to me and say oh my God, it looks like there's something huge going on at Seismic. Like, I want in on this. Like, can you talk to me about about how I could – you know perhaps get an interview perhaps get a job there because man you guys look like you're rocking well that's i'm just like one guy right Uh, you know magnify that how many of my peers are getting similar outreach from really high quality talent who are really hard to attract and recruit and 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 i'm very hopeful that it's all going to come together and we're going to make a fantastic hire here but no 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 posts saying we're hiring you know absent all this other stuff would have got through to him or anyone else right so you're 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 attracting, you become a magnet for great talent. And then, even when your recruiters start reaching out and doing passive talent acquisition and they're actively reaching out to people, if those people, know your company and have a positive sentiment about them because they've seen your people everywhere doing great things. Well, they're more likely to respond to that outreach from that recruiter. So, I mean, done right. This, this drives sales outcomes. It drives marketing outcomes. It drives talent acquisition outcomes. And, and I'm sure we could, we could keep on going. We could talk about corporate valuations and all sorts of other things. So, I mean, this is not a one trick pony, as they say, right? This is not a, a single act play. You know, sometimes people think, oh, well, social, it's about lead gen. It's about top <laughs> of funnel. That's all it. No, 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 no. Like it's about, it's about everything. It's about the entire yeah. business. You could probably pick any metric within the organization and any business outcome that you're seeking to impact. And you can probably find a legitimate way that Active, empowered, enabled people on social can can support that.
0: Well, you know, Steve, I love your passion for this. Uh, I mean, the emotion with which you said the things that you said, I was like, wow, you absolutely mean it, and I can sense this, right? So, I have I've done this in the past, and uh, especially for example, ever since uh, I started posting content out, uh, um, you know, when I joined Abuma one of the straightest measures that I could measure was that, hey, the number of people searching for the brand name itself has gone up by like 500%. And this is magical. I did not even share a link. It is just, I'm talking about things that I do or things that I'm passionate about. And if one or two people can have that kind of an impact, I totally understand You know the kind of impact we can have if more people join force. Absolutely.
1: That, that's, that's an amazing story, Yag. I love it. Yeah. Like if one person can impact a company metric like that, just think of the power of of harnessing a lot of your people. I love that.
0: Absolutely. I think it's a good time to take a moment and thank the HubSpot Podcast Network. Being part of the HubSpot Podcast Network means we now have a behind-the-scenes look into the world's number one CRM platform and get to share new information and features that are helping businesses like yours stay connected to their customers, goals, and teams. With improved forecasting tools and custom report builders, you can see how your quarter is going, inspect new deals, and use customizable data-driven reports to improve team performance as you grow. With custom behavioral events, you can track site behavior and understand your customer's buying habits all within the platform. And if you're looking for cleaner data with a centralized system, the all-new Operations Hub Enterprise gives your Ops leads the ability to curate data sets for all users, meaning even faster and more consistent reporting. Learn more about how the HubSpot CRM platform can help connect the dots for your business at HubSpot.com. Right. As a next jump off point, uh, I would love uh, your opinion on challenger sales approach. You know, from our offline conversations, I know that you are a big supporter of the challenger approach. And in fact, I recently wrote a blog on the topic and while I was doing my research, I felt that the approach was rather too aggressive for my liking, um, especially the whole idea of take control of the entire conversation. Uh, or maybe I'm reading into it a bit too much, but I'm sure it works for, uh, you know, sales of different types. So my question to you is, what do you like best about challenger sales and uh, what do you have to say about challenger sales being regarded as something that is very esoteric as a technique?
1: I think like everything else, Challenger can be done well or it can be done poorly. And I'm not an expert on Challenger sale. It's a mindset and a methodology that I think has a lot of power if done right. But I also absolutely see how it could go wrong. Uh, but where I see the, the power of it, and I'm also going to tie it to the social at the end of this. But I mean, the whole idea of... Teach, tailor, and take control. If done in a really buyer centric and authentically helpful way, that's very helpful and valuable to a buyer, right? Having, instead of the old solution, here's how I'd look at it the old solution selling mindset was you just get someone on the phone, you ask them what they're struggling with, and no matter what they say, magically your product or your solution is precisely what they need. It's not authentic, right? Yeah. And, and you get these things like, hey, Yogg, what's keeping you up at night? And then you tell me something and I go, well, let me tell you, you just got to buy my thing and you'll sleep like a baby, right? Like I know, I know I'm being a little facetious here, but I mean, the, the idea that get them to tell you what ails them and then just tell them why your solution is perfect for them is not, particularly authentic or helpful compared to...
0: It reminds me of a lot of MLM pitches that I've got over the years.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's it's a lot, a lot of sales conversations in a lot of ways. But like, you know, compare that to challenger done well, which is someone who comes in and says... Look, here's what we see changing. Here's how we see the world changing, the market changing, your industry changing. Here's the sorts of things that are causing some firms to win and lose. Here's some stories and some data and some insights that can really help you to succeed. Do you see a way that you could seize those opportunities and those different ways of thinking and different ways of operating your business and perhaps different tools to use in order to improve your outcomes. Now, I as the buyer, I'm learning something from you. Whether I buy from you or not, I have just learned from this conversation. Well, that's a win for me as a buyer instead of me just telling you what's keeping me up at night and then you pitching me a product, right? So it's it's more buyer-centric if the seller can legitimately teach something. And then if they can tailor, right, if they can tailor what comes next really to the needs and the interests and the priorities of that buyer, and if they can take control of the process, because sometimes, as you well know, sometimes complex B2B sales cycles can just go on forever and seem like they're just like dog chasing its tail. Right. And you're, (laughs) you know, we've demoed 17 different times for, you know, 12 different teams and we're no further ahead than where we were four months ago. And uh, you know, the amount of time you invest in. So, you know, if you can go in and teach and you can go in and then tailor the, the, every aspect of the sales cycle and you can take control in a empathetic way. Take control of the process and what needs to happen. Okay, here's here's where we're going to need your compliance team. Here's where we're going to need your legal team. Here's where we're going to need your procurement team. If you as a seller can do all of that with empathy and integrity and legitimate authority well then that's really helpful for the buyer and it's also uh effective for the seller so i do believe challenger done right can be super great of course it can be done wrong if you lack the expertise and the know-how and 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 the empathy and you just go in and you try to steamroll through people and let me tell you everything you're doing wrong and here's why you need to buy my thing. Well, that <laughs> that's that's not challenger, right? So I, I do believe challenger, uh, just like we talked about, you know, social selling can get a, a bad name when it's done wrong, and so can Chall- so can anything. Anything can get a bad name right, when it's right. done wrong. And, and let me just quickly tie this buyer centric social to that, right? If you're the seller, Yag, and you're selling me, um, how do I know that you have the expertise to teach me, to tailor the process and to take control of that process? How do I know that you have that if you have no social presence? You're just, what, like cold pitching me in, in an email cadence? You're not coming in strong here. Contrast that to if you are consistently publicly sharing high quality content that you are writing and industry content and all sorts of things and you're engaging in conversations and i see you on linkedin regularly and i think wow this guy is good this guy knows my industry he knows He knows the problems I face. He knows what's what going on out there. Uh, I see that he's an empathetic professional who engages with people in really positive ways day in and day out on LinkedIn. Now I I will welcome you to come in and teach me and tailor the process and take control. So doing buyer-centric social really, really well supports challenger sale. It also supports ABM. You mentioned ABM at at the beginning. Exact same thing, right? Companies... Will will spend incredible amounts of time and money on every aspect of their ABM across you know the ICP and the value props and the clustering and the tiers and the messaging and the orchestration of all these cadences and everything and then they just kind of forget about their salespeople and just well good luck guys but <laughs> but if if your salespeople were were really part of that and we're out there doing all these things we're talking about and and publicly sharing all this expertise well they become sort of the final mile of your ABM and I think. Not only am I getting multi-touch, multi-channel overtures from Yogg's company across lots of ways that are are resonating with me, but also Yogg and the other salespeople that I I see out there, they just seem really good. Well, it's one more powerful part of ABM. So this whole buyer-centric social thing. It, it you know we said it supports sales it supports marketing it supports hiring but it also specifically supports challenger it supports abm and lots of other things too well, maybe i'm overselling here but i do actually see buyer centric social as kind of like the missing ingredient in a whole lot of different things going on in the business world today
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I want a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, crypto promoting people to listen to this for promoting <laughs> anonymity way too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because at the end of the day, if you don't know who you're buying uh, from, then I think that's a whole different proposition. That part, you know, I I cannot agree more. So for me, the, the debate about uh, challenger sales was actually coming from the sales discovery standpoint, like if you don't understand their problem enough. So I think that you clarified really well. So that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, the way I often approach those first discovery calls, and I do a lot of them, although although I'm a marketer, I, I do a lot of selling. But I'll go in and I'll say, look, this is what we see changing in, in this area. This is what we see some of the most successful companies doing. And this is why they're doing it. This is how it's different from what they did in the past. These are some of the problems that they faced when they started. This is how they overcame it. So I'm teaching. And then I stop and say, does this land with you? Is this Does this resonate with you? And a very high portion of the time, they are enthusiastically saying, "Yes, yes, you you just you just defined our problem." So they they learned something, but I've now given them a tremendous opportunity for them to now really enthusiastically educate me about the specifics of their organization and what what has gone wrong and what has gone well and what their top objectives are, all the things you want to get from discovery. But instead of it starting with me just kind of interrogating them and asking them a bunch of questions, by <laughs> leading, leading with credible education, I find anyways, it leads to a far more effective and discovery and relationship building also. So yeah, again, you can do it poorly or you can do it well, but I, I believe if you do it well, it's a good thing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, blindly banned qualifying people doesn't help (laughs) anyone. (laughs) Can't agree more. No. Right. So uh, now that uh, we have crossed the 37-minute mark, uh, we are marching into the next section, what we call as the rapid-fire section. So what I'm going to do here is uh, shoot five lightning questions at you. The questions might be short, but uh, the answers need not be. And uh, let me see if I can put you on the spot. So are you ready for that?
1: Uh, I guess we'll find out. So uh, just so the, your audience knows, this is not scripted and uh, I have no advance notice. So I, <laughs> I don't know what you're going to ask me and I might have really garbage answers, but let's find out.
0: Right. So here's um, question number one. What's one metric that you would recommend to measure the effectiveness of sales enablement?
1: Well, one, I don't know if it's necessarily the most important one, but one is the use of the tools. If you have a, you know, whatever you've deployed gong within your organization so everyone can learn to, to do better calls, and or, or you've deployed something like Seismic for content management and, and engagement or all these other things, I mean, obviously, if it's not being used, you got a real problem. And, and the answer to what to do about it may differ significantly. I mean, is it because the tool is not a good fit for your organization? Is it because you've failed to properly train it? Is it that you have failed to consistently, you know, practice what you preach in terms of leadership, really leaning into these tools? So, I mean, there's a lot of different outcomes, but I would think that at least at a a starting point, I would be looking at the consistency with which my people are using these tools. And uh, if those numbers are not strong and growing, well, then I know I've got a real problem.
0: Absolutely. Uh, we should be doing those uh, tool audits every now and then. Otherwise, we would be uh, you know, paying subscriptions for a long time for tools we are not even using.
1: Yeah. And beyond yeah. that, which is absolutely true, Yog. but beyond that, you're also missing an opportunity. I mean, it's not just yeah. the wasted money on a tool that's not being used. It's the wasted opportunity of, were we using this properly? Think of the, the uh, much better outcomes we could achieve.
0: Absolutely. Right. All right. So question number two. Three things that you wished people didn't call themselves on the LinkedIn headline.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Visionary. Thought leader. Oh, and then, of course, the whole gamut of rock star and ninja (laughs) and Jedi and all those silly things. But, yeah, I mean, (laughs) visionary and thought leader. These are not things you call yourself. (laughs) these are things that you could work very hard to aspire to hopefully one day somebody else calling you that and if they do thank them sincerely but you don't call yourself a thought leader and you don't call yourself a visionary and then yeah i think the whole rock star ninja guru thing is just silliness
0: (laughs) i'm absolutely loving this right so question number three who in a SaaS organization is most accountable for sales enablement?
1: Oh well, that depends vastly because obviously, increasingly, SaaS organizations have a sales enablement leader and an entire sales enablement team. So then it's pretty obvious <laughs> who's most yeah, responsible yeah. for it. Um, but absent that, I, I mean, I think it's 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 a shared responsibility. I mean, obviously, sales leadership has a clear vested interest and responsibility to enable their salespeople to be very successful. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, I'm in marketing now. I mean, in a firm, obviously, that has a a robust and very successful sales enablement function, but they're not the only ones. I mean, as a marketer, I spend a lot of my time in activities that would legitimately be described as sales enablement. I spent a lot of time with our sales team in a lot of different ways. So if you don't have that defined function, well, first of all, you probably should, unless you're very small, uh, and you should probably have it sooner than you might otherwise think. Uh, Probably a lot of small and growing SaaS companies, they grow too far without having sales enablement, and and that's a mess right? That's a missed opportunity that's going to show up negatively in a lot of places. So first of all, you don't have the function, you probably should, or you should soon. Uh, But until that time, it's it's really a shared responsibility across multiple functions with, with, I think, sales leadership and marketing leadership at the forefront.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. Right. So question number four, three marketing tools or uh, tools in your MarTech stack that you cannot live without.
1: Ah, oh, that's a good one. And of course, that's going to be all over the board for lots of people. Um well, for me personally, LinkedIn is absolutely critical in so many ways. Not a surprise to hear me say this, but I mean LinkedIn's <laughs> sure. central to a lot of what I do and and it's it's not just the the posting and engaging stuff we've been talking about. It's the first place I go to research individuals it's the first place I go to research companies before I go to the even to their own website. It's a, a tremendous way to understand people and to understand companies. I, I never go into a sales call or a, a potential partner meeting or anything else without spending some good time on LinkedIn, getting to know the people and and the companies. Uh, in advance so LinkedIn uh, certainly huge for me gong I, I love gong I try to be on as many sales calls as I can personally because I I want I want to personally contribute and I want to build relationships with with those buyers but you can't be everywhere all the time so gong calls are are fantastic for learning oh so much I mean learning so much about what your your own people are doing well or poorly and ways that they handle objections and describe problems and, and describe solutions and, and, you know, so much to be learned there, but, but equally, or perhaps more importantly to hear the way buyers speak and, and what they are confused by, what they're hung up on, perhaps what misconceptions they have about you or, or anything else. So LinkedIn, gong, I I don't know if you, it's not really MarTech so much, but I mean, I, I'm a huge lover as many people are of Slack. I like to think of email as my external communication platform and and Slack as my internal. And I would love it if I never had an internal email ever, um, such that I would have fewer emails and other than the spam, which you can quickly get rid of, I'd know that everything else is from a customer or a prospect or a partner or, you know, uh, like some kind of media opportunity or whatever it may be. And there isn't the risk of missing those because there's 500 internal emails, reply all and all this kind of stuff. Um, When you set up Slack, right. And, and people, Know how to use it, and know how to collaborate, and know how to uh, what goes where and why within Slack. Then you can keep that internal and that external communication clean, and be far more efficient and effective in both. So I, I, I'm a I'm a huge believer in uh, in um, leaning heavily on Slack for internal collaboration.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As such, you know, we are moving a lot away from the system of records to system of information to system of collaboration. So absolutely with you on that. And uh, and I love your tool set. And uh, someday I hope that uh, Gong gets replaced by Aoma. <laughs> Let's see. Anyway, here's uh, question number five. What's one channel that you feel people shouldn't be using for sales or not pitching there?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think you gotta be where your buyers are when they're receptive to your messages and in the right time and the, in the right way. So I, I don't know that I have a good answer for that because I don't think there's any channel that is inherently wrong. It's they're all capable of being used wrong. I absolutely do not want cold spam text messages. Absolutely not. But if I'm deep in a sales cycle uh, if as a buyer, if I'm deep in a sales cycle, um, having a, a text relationship back and forth with the seller can can oftentimes be helpful to me and to him or her because it's the most effective, like efficient direct way of quickly getting answers from each other in a well developed sales process. So, you know, does does that mean Text is a bad channel for sales. Well, no, it's, it's really bad in some ways and it, it, sometimes in and places and uses and it's, it's great in others. And I would say the same thing about LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and everything else. So I, 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 would, I would propose that there is no channel that is inherently wrong for sales, but all of them are capable of being used incorrectly you know, with the wrong motivations and at the wrong times in the wrong ways
0: yeah i agree i agree uh, from my point of view i was i was going to say that uh, you know i really wouldn't like anybody using a podcast as a sales pitch and saying that, hey come to my podcast and then start uh, you know pitching or using that as a, a discovery phase uh, that to me is is no, no go but yeah you're right there are there are going to be every uh, channel where you can either use it in a really good manner or you can actually uh, misuse it Absolutely. That's kind
1: of been a recurring theme throughout our conversation, hasn't it, Yad? Uh, you know, you can do LinkedIn well or poorly. You can do ABM well or poorly. Yeah. You can do challenger <laughs> yes. selling well or poorly. I mean, really, I think sometimes we want to make things too black and white. And, you know, I, I that that's one thing, uh, just quickly before we wrap things up, is, you know, one thing I hate about a lot of LinkedIn posts is people who, like these posts that act as though... The particular market segment or situation that they're in is is some universal truth, and
0: you know you should <laughs> yes.
1: never do this, or or you should always do this. Um, well, yeah, like in your particular thing, like people will say, like nobody wants to talk to a salesperson. It's you know you need to have a free trial and a freemium model, full stop. It's like, well, <laughs> for some simple and inexpensive products with. One user and a relatively simple decision. Yeah, you're totally right. But that's completely wrong for a complex enterprise. Try saying
0: that to (laughs) SAP. Yeah,
1: yeah, right. Yeah, you should you should just totally buy this, you know, seven or eight figure global solution based on on a free trial and never talk to a salesperson. No, never going to happen. So, yeah, uh, I I think with everything, it's like we all need to recognize that there are a tremendous amount of uh, different. Uh, different circumstances all of our companies are in and and we need to all learn from each other and and take the best of what applies to our space. But it's not very often that that one one size fits all solution is going to work for everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you pretty much hit all the five rapid fire questions out of the park. So that's amazing. Congratulations <sighs> wow, on that.
1: Let me tell you, I was sweating a little <laughs> bit there. Usually, when I do these things, you know, I kind of know what we're going to talk about, but not this time. You made it interesting, Yog. Thank you.
0: <laughs> amazing. Right. So before I say my uh, thank yous and uh, you know let you go for the rest of the day, I would like to ask you: Is there a parting message that you would like to share with our audience?
1: How about connect with me on LinkedIn? Don't come to pitch, slap me. Don't come to hunt me. Don't come to advertise at me, but uh, come to connect. And I, I post a lot of content almost every day and I also consume a lot of other people's content and engage with it and celebrate it and comment and get involved in conversations. Back to what I said, if I can, I'm there like I think everyone else is. I'm on LinkedIn to learn, and I'm there to further my own career and further the fortunes of my company. So uh, if you would like to connect with me, if you would like to engage with my content, and if you are someone who also shares great content, a very high likelihood I will engage with yours. So I, I would welcome that.
0: Absolutely love that. That's a very honest and uh, heartfelt message. I love that. And uh, thank you so much, Steve. I absolutely love talking to you. There is so much that we covered in the last uh, 50 minutes or so. And uh, there is so much that I can go back and listen and re-listen as well. So thank you so much for these nuggets of wisdom.
1: Well, thank you, Yog. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. I appreciate you inviting me on today.
0: Absolutely. And for the listeners, that's that from us in this episode. And uh, until we connect with you the next time, with another guest and another topic. This is bye from me, Yaag. Have a good day and take care.
1: Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts and suggestions to make the
0: show more relevant to you. <laughs>